Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez alongside my good friend Tyler Burton. No Corbin this evening as he is in Las Vegas. We will join him towards the end of the episode as we go through some over and unders though. Uh, but until then, Tyler, how are we doing? I'm good, man. How are things with you? Man, it, I couldn't have asked for a better like last seven days of sports, at least as far as OU goes. Um, just so much excitement between softball and baseball. Uh, football even got a commitment finally. So um, you just got to love this, the way that the this type of postseason is so different from football. It's all packed in there. You get so much action and so many games um, and everything turned out OU's way. So um, it was kind of on the brinks there Monday afternoon, but yeah, uh, second game for softball and a rain delay for baseball and everything turned out. Okay. Yeah. I was joking with it with a couple of buddies of mine. We went to uh, left last Wednesday for a bachelor party. Didn't get back until Sunday. And it was kind of funny. We actually made time throughout the course of the weekend of the bachelor party festivities to always be in tune and watch a little bit of both softball and OU baseball. So can't believe I'm actually saying that about diamond sports. That's usually maybe a men's basketball or a football type situation, but no, it was really, really good. Uh, we've got a lot to touch on tonight regarding diamond sports, but yeah, uh, like you said, football got to commit over the weekend. Jackson Arnold's a five-star uh, as of a couple of hours ago. So future's looking up for the 2023 class. Uh, but yeah, let's dive right into it, man. Let's uh, let's talk some OU softball. Um, I mean, at this point, is there is there really much more we can say? I mean, UCLA scared them a little bit, but Patty's team, they just continued to roll. So, um, I mean, I guess we can kind of you know, walk through here how the Sooners got to the championship series, starting with Northwestern opening game from this past Thursday. Couldn't have scripted up a better start for the Sooners to open up the Women's College World Series. Northwestern found out real quick, uh, Adam, just how different Oklahoma's level is compared to everybody else's. So, uh, Tiari Jennings, Jana Johns, both hit grand slams for the Sooners in what turned out to be a 13-2 run rule. Great way to get things going uh, for, for this uh, softball team going into the World Series. Number one seed, all the pressure in the world on you, getting off on the right foot with a run rule win over a Big Ten team like Northwestern. Couldn't have scripted it up any better. Fast forward all the way to Saturday. Uh, another solid win for Oklahoma. They did win the game 7-2. Another great outing for Hope Trotwine. Seven innings pitched, gave up two runs on six hits. Jada Coleman-Adam, who I think isn't getting the credit that she deserves for the performances that she's put out through the first four games of the seat of this tournament. She went two for four with two doubles on the year, or two doubles on the day, two runs scored. And Adam, she's really kind of been a spark plug for this lineup. You know, Patty in her press conference today called Jada uh, the kind of the party starter for this lineup. When Jada finds a way to get on base, it really sets things up well for Jossie, Tiara, uh, and uh, Grace Lyons coming behind her. So it was nice to see them take care of Texas on Saturday. That's when things got a little bit dicey on Monday, though. Yeah, uh, opening things up with UCLA, uh, the decision to pitch Nicole May. We haven't seen Jordy, but one out up until this point uh, in the Women's College World Series. You suffer a seven to three loss. Bruins got after Nicole May early in this one. She only made it two and a third innings, giving up five earned runs, coming on two home runs. So Oklahoma was kind of able to claw their way back. Um, uh, they cut it all the way, I believe it was to, set to five to three. We finally got to see some extended action from Jordy Ball, who I thought, uh, for the most part, pitched exceptionally well, especially given the the time off, her being injured, uh, battling that you know hairline fracture in her forearm. I thought she performed exceptionally well given the time away from it. Uh, but yeah, Bruins took down the Sooners seven to three, which set up a must win game uh, to get into the championship series. And Adam. 
I, I was a little bit nervous. So I'm not going to lie. I watched part of this part of the first game at work, was able to watch the full second game at work that afternoon. Oklahoma bounced back in a huge way, crushing UCLA in what was run rule fashion, 15 to nothing. Tiari Jennings got things going in the first inning, putting the Sooners on the board with a three-run homer. And then from then on, OU just flat out never looked back. Uh, Jocelyn went four for four, two home runs, uh, including a grand slam. And Hope Trotwine, Adam, we'll, we'll touch on her here in just a little bit. She was excellent in the circle again. I feel like we've said that every single game in this postseason that she's pitched. Uh, we've said it all year long that she just continues to put out impressive performances for Oklahoma. Um, and, Adam, I thought it was kind of funny in the post in the post game. Um, we, we heard Patty Gasso and, and even Jocelyn pretty much say the exact same thing. You might catch OU on an off day and play one of your best games of the year to beat them. But no team is going to beat this team twice. This is an incredible stat uh, from Soonersports.com. In three losses OU has suffered this season, the Sooners have outscored their next opponents by a combined score of 39-0 to with all three of those bounce-back <laughs> bounce back wins being run rule yeah. fashion. So, um, yeah, 57-3 on the year, 40 of those victories coming by run rule. And just the last little tidbit I'll throw, out to, throw to you, Adam, uh, OU, Patty Squad, they've outscored their postseason opponents 90-14 to uh, going into tomorrow night's Game 1 against Texas. So it's, it's just flat-out unreal what this team is continuing to do day in and day out. Yeah, it's crazy to see kind of the mood swing that was happening Monday, uh, just amongst, you know, the mainline group text that we had among, among OU fans in general, where it's like, okay, Nicole May, it seems like a strange decision. Um, but last year we doubted some of Patty's uh, pitching decisions last year, and we were all proved wrong on that one. And this one ended up working out okay. I think even though OU lost that first game, it was really good to see Jordy Ball. I think she threw something like 60 or 70 pitches, which yeah. was way more than what I think I would have expected. Um, so that's good to know that you've got a, a pitcher that is is healthy enough that can do that type of outing. And we'll talk a little bit here in a second about you know who we expect Patty to go with in the championship series. But, but yeah, again, Hope Trotwine was spectacular. And we've kind of been asking this question um, throughout the entire season. I know Corbin's been asking it a lot as well. Is, is Hope Trotwine the best pitcher on this team? I, I'm not sure. It, but the fact that you can have that discussion, you have Jordy Ball and you have Hope Trotwine, just makes this team so powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, adding into the fact that this year with the Women's College World Series, you've got some built-in uh, off days. Um, not not here in the championship series, but leading into that, you had some off days. So it was a lot easier for her to contribute and pitch um, on a more regular basis and give Jordy Ball even more time to heal up and rest. Yeah, I tweeted it out right after the game yesterday when they took down uh, UCLA in run rule fashion. You know, Hope Trotwine's kind of been the unsung hero for for this team. You know, Jocelyn's getting a lot of credit, which rightfully so. What she's doing this postseason, basically what she's done her entire career, um, has shined a really good spotlight, not just on Oklahoma softball, but, you know, Patty talked about it in her press conference today. It kind of feels like Jocelyn, her ability to hit the long ball, her being the, you know, greatest power home run hitter that we've ever seen in collegiate softball, it's really allowed softball to kind of be elevated in terms of the eyeballs of the nation being on it. And it's really good to see her continue to grow the game and make it so popular for, you know, up and coming young girls that are just now getting into, you know, Little League or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, Hope Trotwine, I I tweeted it out, Northwestern, 4.2 innings, one hit, two runs. Texas, seven innings, two runs. UCLA, she goes five innings, gives up two hits and no runs. So, um, again, we've talked about it, it feels like, time and time again on this podcast. I kind of, I was looking at the panic button 
Uh, once Jordy balled, uh, once they thought that she was going to be out for an extended amount of time in the postseason, we didn't really know what to expect from Hope Trotwine. You know, she's a transfer from North Texas. She's never been in this position on this stage with the, you know the entire country and you know twelve thousand people in, in attendance to wa- to watch them pitch. So um, three games, three outstanding performances, three three wins. So just outright dominant from Hope and. Um, I think that you know we did get to see Jordy uh, in this in the first game against UCLA. I kind of got the feeling, Adam, throwing this over to you. It kind of felt like Patty was doing anything and everything she could to save Jordy until the championship series. Kind of wanted to try to get there without having to use her uh, for maybe more than you know one inning here and there, but. Um, I, I think that honestly, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Her getting to go out there, throw sixty or seventy pitches. We saw how in the post game, Patty talked about how you know she wasn't in any pain. She kind of exceeded expectations in terms of her performance. Velocity was fantastic. Had command of all of her pitches. Tremendous movement. So uh, I, I think going into t- tomorrow night, I'll, I'll turn this over to you. It's got to be pretty obvious who you start game one, right? Well, we'll see if our answers match here. Uh, I would go with Trotwine to start game one, Jordy Ball to close that game if you need her, and then I would just reverse it in game two. And then game three, you roll with what you have. I, I don't know that Nicole May gets another opportunity here. See, I'm I'm almost in agreement with you. I throw Hope Trotwine tomorrow. I throw her in, unless she's struggling, but if she continues on the path that she's been in this postseason, especially here in Oklahoma City, I, th- I throw her until she can't throw anymore. If you can go out there and she can put out, you know, f- hopefully five innings tomorrow, that's all it's going to take. Throw five innings, get the game one win tomorrow. Is there a I run throw- rule in the championship series? I don't think that gr- there, no, there is. Think that, that there is. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. That's when I think you maybe, if you can get up big against Texas, that's when I think you could feel more comfortable throwing Nicole May in there. Uh, because yeah. if you get a chance to win tomorrow, I'm throwing, I, I'm throwing Hope back in there for game two. I, I'm mm-hmm. saving Jordy as for, as for as long as possible. If Hope can ride, if you can ride the Hope train all the way through the championship series, as good as she's been the first three games of, of uh, the College World Series, uh, I, I do that. You know what you've got in the in the two slot right now with Jordy Ball. We saw how good she was against UCLA. I think she's going to be even better uh, in the next games. You know she's been able to knock off some of the rust. But the fact that you've got a Hope Trotwine that's been the most dominant pitcher um, for the entire month of May uh, in the early part of June, as we've come to see, having Jordy Ball back into the lineup that can be a nice one-two punch for the Sooners, um, it, it's it's shaping up so well for Oklahoma going into to tomorrow night. And that's something that Patty's going to have to guard against, not let this team get overconfident. Uh, because, like I said, with the way that this team is hitting the is hitting the ball right now to go along with the pitching that we've seen from Hope and a little bit from Jordy, um, it, it's OU's to lose. Yeah, it, it is. And I think this matchup against Texas is better than uh, the potential matchup against OSU. Although that would have been super sweet, great for the state, great for the God. series. It would have been an amazing stadium atmosphere. Uh, Did you watch but, that uh, last night? I, I saw bits and pieces of it. I wasn't able to watch it. Oh um, my sitting God. Down. It was it was crazy the way they collapsed. Kind of like baseball. That was kind of funny. Um, 67% of people on Twitter, we asked this on a poll yesterday, so make sure to follow us at the Mainline Pod to, to vote in the next poll that we do. But OSU uh, was the 67% favorite as far as what OU fans wanted to see in the uh, matchup in the championship series over Texas. I still think it's pretty awesome to get a Red River rivalry uh, showdown here. Either team had had beaten OU before, so there is some drama there. There's some potential. 
you've only got three losses on the entire year. And the uh, two of those teams are on the other side of the bracket. They're waiting for, for OU in that uh, final three games, maybe just two. We'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, OU's got some, some really hot pitching right now between Trotwine and Ball. But who in this lineup are you looking at that, that OU should be wary of at this point? All of them at this point right now, honestly, I think I know that that's a, you know, that's a super, you know, cliche answer. Um, But I I think that when you look at this Texas lineup from, from top to bottom one through nine, uh, every single one of these hitters um, has a chance to, you know, not just maybe to hit the long ball, but they have a chance to get on base, really start a rally. Um, So I think that it's going to be crucial for Oklahoma tomorrow night um, is to set the tone early, you know, kind of like what we saw from UCLA uh, in game two, Tiara Jennings hits a three run blast uh, to, to open the first game up instill some confidence not just in the rest of your team but also instill confidence in that pitching circle which hopefully we'll see hope trotwine start game one tomorrow night uh and and quite simply adam i don't care how i don't care how poor or how good ou's pitching is tomorrow uh, or this week if if ou continues to hit the to hit the ball like we've seen the, the first two to three days of this tournament uh, I, I don't think that Texas has a chance. Texas doesn't have the firepower offensively that Oklahoma does. Yes, they're a very they're a scrappy bunch. You know they have a they have their ways to, uh, you know, play small ball to you know finesse their way into scoring some runs. We, we saw them score seven against UCLA. So the offense has the capability uh, to put runs up. So Oklahoma is going to have to be on their A game. But for me, I think that the big matchup in in this uh, in this series is going to be the Oklahoma bats against the Texas pitching. Uh, that we've seen now, uh, Texas is kind of a two-headed monster. We've seen them, you know, we've seen them in four games this this year, three in the regular season, one just uh, just three short days ago. Uh, for me, it's it all starts off with Haley Dul- Dulcini, you know, senior on the staff, the ace of this staff. Oh, you really got after her. Uh, she started the game on Saturday uh, at the College World Series against the Sooners. Oklahoma put up seven or put up five runs uh, on six hits, two of which were home runs by Jocelyn and Tiara Jennings. So Oklahoma is very very familiar with this team. Uh, then they, w- they know what they're going to get from Haley Dolcini. But I think another one to keep an eye on, Adam, uh, is Estelle Check. I apologize if I'm not saying that name right. Uh, she's already thrown a complete game shutout in this Women's College World Series, and she's done a phenomenal job when having when having to come in uh, in key situations in relief. So I think that the Texas pitchers against the Oklahoma lineup is the matchup to watch in this series uh, because if, if, OU can, if OU can get after both of them early and often, then – uh, it's going to be very, very hard to, for Texas to overcome what Oklahoma can do offensively, led by uh, the senior All-American in Jocelyn Allo. I'll be keeping my eye on T.R.A. Jennings a lot, uh, simply because she's a great hitter, and mm-hmm. she really hasn't been receiving as much of the praise as I think that she deserves. On any other team, she's the talk of the town, but with Jocelyn Allo um, hitting right before you in the lineup, that takes so much of the shine away from Tiara. She's pacing ahead of where Jocelyn Allo was at, at this point in her career. Now we'll see where things end up after the dust settles because Jocelyn Allo probably will have a few more games under her belt uh, simply because of that COVID year. Um, they got a couple in there to, to help pad her stats a little bit, but yeah, um, man, just seeing what she's able to do um, in that uh, number three spot makes you feel so good about what this team can do uh, next year uh, with that. I mean, yeah, you'll miss Jocelyn Allo, but Tiare is seemingly just as good of a hitter. <laughs> and yeah. it's crazy because she's still got two more years after this one. Um, and are you 
Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to throw a couple names out there. I know I kind of took the uh, the easy way out when asking about you know who, who's a name or two that OU fans need to be aware of when Texas is is on offense. And for me, it kind of starts out with the very much like with UCLA, the one through four hitters. Those are the ones that you really have to attack and get out. Uh, you can take your chances with the rest of the lineup. It's the same way for me with the, with the Longhorns as well. Uh, you know, Jana Jefferson uh, leading things off. She was one for four. Uh, in the Saturday matchup against the Sooners, with the first with the first at bat being the the solo home run to really get the Longhorns kind of going. Uh, Mia Scott, the third baseman, batting number two. Uh, Alyssa Washington, the the shortstop, fantastic player from uh, from from uh, start to finish. This girl uh, and Mary Iacopo. Uh, we've seen a lot of jokes on social media. Kind of feels like the TV crew has a love fest with Maria Iacopo. I don't know if they just love saying the name. Uh, but she is a fantastic player both offensively and defensively behind the plate. So Oklahoma, uh, whether it's Jordy Ball, whether it's Hope Trotwine, establishing uh, dominance and being able to locate your pitches against those first four hitters for the Texas lineup I think is going to be pivotal in OU being able to find success early and often starting tomorrow night. Last question on softball, I guess, or maybe we'll have one more. But um we always talk about in football, it's always hard to beat the same team twice. Uh, it's softball, it's a different sport, but this will be OU's fifth, sixth, and possibly yep. seventh game against the Longhorns. Does that give you any pause or concern? I, I don't know if concern is the right is the right word. I think that once you do get into a fifth, sixth, and seventh matchup with the same team in one season, um, at this point right now, Texas knows everything about Oklahoma. Same vice versa. OU knows everything about what to expect from Texas, both in the lineup and in the circle. So uh, really it's just a matter right now of uh, which team can go out there and execute. Um, it's kind of lopsided. I think I can't believe I'm saying in, saying this about a uh, Women's college, college World Series Championship Series. These are, you know, by quote-unquote, the two best teams in the country vying it out to to, host the, to hoist the trophy here in a matter of days. Uh, but I, I think that in the, in this particular matchup, I think that the, the more talented team, the better team um, is Oklahoma by far. Uh, it's just a matter right now of, you know, can they um, avoid a letdown in this situation? They've, they've already taken, you know, three out of four in uh, in the series uh, th- this year against the Longhorns. So uh, I think that if, if OU plays their A game, they'll run rule both times. I have no no doubt in my mind if 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 Hope Trotwine can shut things down on game one, Jordy Ball can shut it down on game two. If OU's got the bats going, if JT Gasso and Patty Gasso, uh, you know, come up with another really solid game plan to get after Haley Dul- Dulcini, uh, I think that OU is by far and away the better team in this matchup, and it wouldn't surprise me uh, if one of these two victories is a run rule. Knock on wood. Well. The run rule not in effect for the World Series, of course. You know what I mean, though. You know, what I, mean. <laughs> I know I, what you mean. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, and and how how fitting. You know, we we were super excited when OU did knock off UCLA, and we knew okay, you're either going to get Bedlam or you're going to get Red River for the national championship. Two out of three. We were. I was low key just for the state of Oklahoma. How awesome would it be to have Stillwater versus Norman, OU versus Oklahoma yeah. State, with you know the entire country watching it? But uh, the fact that you're going to get OU Texas, you know. Two nights for sure, maybe three. Um, you know, if you're if you're an Oklahoma fan, you've got an opportunity to go out there and you know win the program's sixth national championship, and you have a chance to do it against your arch rival, um, and just two SEC schools going at it. 
Yeah. My prediction is I think OU will be able to take this in two games simply because OU is not going to make the same types of errors and, and mistakes that OSU did the other night to let Texas run away with this. And although Texas is hot, um, there's a reason they were not a national seed this year. Um, and it's, it should be somewhat of a mismatch. So um, give me OU in two games. What's your prediction? Are you, are you going with two in run rule fashion, I guess? I think tomorrow night is close. Okay. And then I think that the pressure gets to Texas on Thursday night, and I think OU runs away with it. So, uh, and Adam, let's not forget too. You know, Haley Dolcini, uh, uh, the the ace for Texas, she's only twenty three and eleven on the year. So, you know, she's not as dominant of an ace as what we've seen from like a Hope or a Jordy Ball or you know some of the other pitchers that we've come across uh, in in the College World Series this weekend. You know, she's very hittable. Yes, she has some really good stuff. A lot of different pitches. Very good breaking ball pitcher. Uh, but OU figured out a way to to hit her on on Saturday, and you know they've already gone through the lineup with her two or three times, and I think it's going to start off again tomorrow. So if OU can set the tone early tomorrow, jump out fast, like I said, it all starts with Jada Coleman. She can figure out a way to get on base, get the rally started, uh, get somebody on base for that two, three, four, uh, and even five hitters for Oklahoma. Um, I just i I don't want to come across as as it being like there's no way Oklahoma can't lose this series because they're so good. They obviously can. Texas has figured out a way to get to this point right now uh, with some timely hitting and good pitching and some you know sc- scrappy defense. So uh, Oklahoma's going to have to go out there and execute. But again, I think Oklahoma, if they play their A game, Texas can't compete with them. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to see what happens in the series, but I'll tell you what I'm ecstatic about is baseball right now. Um, oh, everyone knows boy. I'm the baseball guy on this pod, um, but I've, I've found a lot of new friends uh, rooting for baseball over the last couple of weeks here. Everyone's jumping on the bandwagon and everyone is welcome. I'm excited to have all the friends here. Uh, OU's made it to super regionals. It was a, a tough, tough regional um, down in Gainesville, but the Sooners find a way after a rain delay game on Monday to, to beat the Gators uh, and uh, in quite thrilling fashion, honestly um, it was, it was such a weird regional in the fact that OU easily won both of the first two games uh, against Liberty mm-hmm. on Friday, Saturday night against the Gators Sunday. Uh, everyone's kind of the talk of the town is, you know, the Gators are going to throw a lefty to start. We knew that guy was coming in and OU loads the bases on him. No outs. They pull the pitcher. They bring in a guy who's only pitched nine innings throughout the entire year. wasn't on the travel roster for a uh, part of the season. And then he throws nine innings against you and basically no hit you through, I think the sixth or seventh inning and just frustrated. OU to no end at that point. And it's like, man, this just killed all the momentum. Uh, you come back Monday, having to pick yourself up off the mat and you're getting a great performance from Trevin Michael on the mound. Um, dude is just, you know, sitting people down, um, not necessarily always a strikeout, but letting his defense work behind him, uh, had a couple errors that, that put Florida in the lead, unfortunately, but OU was right there. And then you get the act of God, <laughs> the act of God in the rain delay that really just puts a pause on everything. And I think helped OU kind of regain focus and, and crush some of that momentum from the Gators in order to to come back and find a way after that really long rain delay of what was it four or five hours at that point? Yeah, it was just over and five. I think, yeah, it was over five. And um, Peyton Graham comes in, blasts a, a home run, a two run home run to to take the lead. And then from there, it just continues to pile on. You throw back Jake Bennett in there, and, and he closes it out for you. 
and and get some gator tears if you're asking me which was pretty sweet after what seems like a pretty heated rivalry at this point point between the two schools yeah absolutely um you, you know i think uh, i tweeted it out yesterday you know i i think that we should start a petition uh, for all ou baseball games to include a, fi- a five hour uh, rain delay uh, in some <laughs> form or fashion because ou's bats were essentially i mean just dead quiet uh, for the better part of that entire game. Fast forward five hours later, and it's just like the light came on for him. So uh, Peyton Graham, he's done it all season long. Uh, Mr. Clutch, you call him Superman, him finding a way uh, to tie the game with the two-run bomb. I think that instilled some confidence and kind of reinvigorated this team, uh, got him back going. And then I thought uh, Skip's decision to bring in Jake Bennett uh, for for the final two uh, innings to, to kind of close it down against the Gators was, was a really good decision. And you know, Adam, going into this weekend, I, I know that you're the baseball guy. Um, you all, you know, you have been on the podcast. You were in our time at the ticket office, but um, I'm I'm very excited to watch this team. Uh, I'll be tuned in um, all three days. Hopefully, it's just two. Uh, but you've got to think, Adam. You know, we've we've talked about the three headed monster, the, the starting pitching staff: Jake Bennett, David Sandlin, Kate Horton. You've got to think now that it shrinks up into where it's just uh, it's a you know one on one three game or best two out of three. Um, I, I'm not too familiar with Virginia Tech's pitching staff, so I know that it's it's exceptionally well. There's a reason why they're the number four overall seed in college baseball. Uh, but you've got to think that the three-headed monster of Bennett, Sandlin, and Horton. Um, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great group that uh, Skip Johnson's going to be able to rely on going into you know Blacksburg this weekend. Yeah, um, the starters this weekend, the normal weekend starters, plus Trevin Michael, who started the game on Monday, 28.1 mm-hmm. innings pitch, 29 hits, 10 earned runs, only five uh, bases on balls, and a 3.2 combined ERA. I mean, that's that's really solid from your starters. Each one of them uh, was just dealing. Um, it, it, you know, There were some low-scoring games where you know, maybe they gave up a, a run or two, but you know they were keeping OU in these games um, Sunday and Monday. Um, and then the offense did come back around eventually. So you got to feel so good about your, your your pitching at this point. And at least in supers, it, it continues to shrink. You know, the amount of games that you're playing, you don't have a Tuesday game that you're thinking about. Um, there's not going to be a game four in this uh, in this series against Virginia Tech. It's just three games. So you can throw everything at Virginia Tech. You can throw Trevin Michael and, you know, a reliever status or an extended relief uh, status. You still got Chaz Martinez, who I think can provide something for this team mm-hmm. in the right scenario. Uh, Carson yep. Atwood, who's usually been your your midweek starter, um, kicked us off at the uh, Big 12 uh, tournament and was, was really great there. You've got him in the bag. So, and, and now you've got Kate Horton going six, seven innings. You've got Sandlin going six innings on a regular basis. Uh, Bennett's been, you know, your solid uh, guy that's been doing that all year. So this plays really well into OU's favor here. Whereas Virginia Tech, they have good pitchers. They're statistically better than OU. Um, they do tend to rely on their bullpen a little bit more than OU has. Um, I think they go to the bullpen a little bit earlier, just based on looking at some, some numbers here. Mm-hmm. And so that's fine. If, if they feel like that's their strength, so be it. But you've, you're only playing a maximum of three games. So you can only give so many guys, so many innings on the mound there. I think, you know, it will be difficult to hit against those pitchers. But again, I think this is a, you know, something in advantage OU in the fact that, OU's rotation can tighten up a little bit and you can just stick mm-hmm. with the guys that you feel really good about that have put up incredible performances of late. 
Yeah, and I will say one other thing that does give me a little bit of confidence uh, about this Oklahoma lineup facing that Hokie pitching staff is the is the conference that we play in. You know, the ACC, uh, I would say, is probably not quite as strong as the Big Twelve is from top to bottom. Uh, but when you look at look at you know some of the teams Oklahoma's face, you know Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU. Uh, Texas Tech. I mean, OU has seen some outstanding pitching staffs over the course of the regular season, especially towards the back half. So um, it, it was a little bit of con- a little bit of concerning, uh, just because I think that Florida did some really good things, um, you know, in the pitching circle to be able to kind of shut Oklahoma down uh, through key stretches of you know both games two and three that they played. But um, I, I really liked it the way this team is playing. I thought it was interesting too, Adam, um, and kind of did want to get your thoughts on this. Out of the out of all eight super regionals that are happening this weekend, I think OU had the second or third lowest odds uh, to to win their regional. So I thought that that was pretty interesting, um, uh, considering that this is still probably one of the uh, outside of Stanford. This is probably the hottest team uh, in college baseball right now, and we'll see if they can you know continue to ride that wave of momentum going into the supers and what what would just be an outstanding. Uh, season for this team to end up in Omaha. Yeah, I'm not super concerned about the odds necessarily, simply because pretty much every other regional is a national seed versus a national seed. Yeah, um, there's not true. too many uh, of you know two seeds uh, from their regional advancing on. I know UConn was one of them. Um, they're going to have to play at Stanford, who although Stanford mm-hmm. is very hot, they hit their fair share of bumps just like OU did in the regional. So it's yep. there's no easy win. Um, there, there's no team that you look at and go, that's, you know, a for sure, sure win at this point. Virginia tech is a, is a really strong team. Let's dive a little bit deeper on, on the Hokies here. Just give everyone a little bit of preview. Virginia tech has some really quality wins on their resume. The ACC may not be the best depth wise. There's some teams in that conference that are not as good, but at the top, there are some excellent teams and uh, Virginia tech's got some good wins. Uh, ECU in the non-conference, Notre Dame, UNC, Miami, uh, UVA, Louisville, every one of those teams with the exception of UVA was either a national seed or is still playing at this point in the season. So some really high quality wins there. OU doesn't have nearly the depth uh, of, of, of resume in that regard. Um, the uh, closest game in this past regional was a five run win over Columbia. They didn't have to stretch nearly as much as OU did, but I do think it proved true. The Gainesville regional was the toughest one from this past weekend. So, um, Virginia tech was able to, to coast a little bit more than OU was. Uh, although Virginia tech is not a familiar name in the postseason for college baseball. Um, it's kind of a lot like how softball was for Virginia tech this year. They were ranked really high, uh, during the season. Um, and then the softball team actually didn't even make it to Omaha or uh, to Oklahoma City. Uh, so <laughs> the, it's kind of I, I, I hope that that's the story for Virginia Tech when we're having this podcast next week. We'll see. But the Hokies last appearance in the postseason was in 2013 when they were coached by Pete Hughes, oh, <laughs> a God, familiar name, uh, a name that no one in Oklahoma likes. But uh, he was actually the last coach to take him to the postseason. And they actually hosted a regional that year. And the number two seed in that regional was Oklahoma, uh, coached by Sonny Galloway at that point. And of course, OU took that regional at that point. So kind of odd how that connection comes around. Hopefully we can see a repeat of that in supers. But uh, the story of this team is um, they, as far as pitching goes, Drew Hackenberg is your Friday ace. Yes, he's the brother of Christian Hackenberg, the former Penn State quarterback. Okay. Uh, he is a freshman. And uh, he's, he's got a solid ERA at 3.1, 3. Uh, 3.5, I think is the combined ERA for the expected, uh, starters over three days. If we do get three games, 
And, uh, and so there's no, there's no lefties in the starting lineup. They'll have some lefties coming out of the bullpen, but I know that's kind of where OU fans start feeling really uneasy. That's where Skip, you know, continues to move that lineup around and throw out some of the guys that are a little bit hotter in favor of some guys who haven't played as much recently. So I almost texted you immediately, uh, whenever he made that lineup, (laughs) when I saw that, uh, uh, that Florida was starting that left-handed pitcher, and I saw two or three new faces in there. I was like, okay, this is exactly what Adam said last week. Let's see if it actually uh, comes to fruition. And like you said, the 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 bats weren't swinging as well uh, in the game against left-handed pitching. So I don't know if that's if that's based off analytics or I don't know. Yeah, and it it's only two guys that were swapped in: Diego Muniz at uh, second base, yeah, uh, and then um, uh, the designator hitter Max McGuire came in uh, for uh, for Brett Squires and. Both those guys combined, I think, for 0 and 6, which Ooh. sounds sounds really rough. But then you take into account pretty much everyone on the team was 0 for because they were no hit for the longest time uh, in that that Saturday night game or Sunday night game rather. So we'll see. Hopefully, we stick with our our, our guns. We get some right handed starters, and we mm-hmm. go with the right lineup and just say, hey, you know, the guys that got us here, we're going to dance with those guys um, and see what see where they can get us. Um, from Adam, there, so. for, for Oklahoma fans um, listening to this that are either going to be traveling to Blacksburg or fans that are going to be watching this game um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, talk to us a little bit about what OU fans should expect the Virginia Tech fan atmosphere to look like because you put us you sent a stat to us earlier when talking about the fan attendance that I, honestly I thought was was pretty shocking for the number four overall seed in college baseball for the lack of I guess you could say fan support in attendance for these games. Well, Virginia Tech didn't break twenty eight hundred. Uh, I guess twenty eight eleven was the uh, Saturday attendance for their game uh, in the regional there against Columbia. Um, they were just below that in the other two games as well. So mm. it's not a huge crowd. It's about half of what Florida had uh, for the Saturday and Sunday night games, I believe. So I don't think that the fan atmosphere was necessarily a huge factor in that series against the Gators. And so I think it'll probably be even less for Virginia Tech. So this is great. Um, this is much better than other teams like Texas is going to ECU. And ECU, people think football, it's small school. No, ECU baseball fans are crazy. Um, they'll have probably six, 7,000 down there in Greenville. Mm-hmm. So this is a good break for OU, I think. Uh, Virginia Tech fans are not used to playing in the postseason. In any sport? I, I don't want to throw OU fans under the bus, but this might be kind of what you know a regional might be like at OU this year, just because fans aren't conditioned to go out and support baseball at this point. So True. it's, it's going to be a little bit easier environment. It's not a huge stadium. Uh, first of all, it's called English field, which strike one unpatriotic, right? Um, and and it's not huge. Um, whereas OU, uh, Eldale Mitchell, you have seats behind each of the dugouts, uh, Virginia Mm -hmm. tech seats don't even make it there. Um, at that point it's like terraced lawn seating kind of. So it's just, it's, it's a nice stadium, but it's smaller. Um, so I, I can't expect the atmosphere to be all that crazy. All right, I got one last question here for you, Adam. We'll put a bow on baseball. Uh, give me an X factor uh, for the series this weekend, and also tell me why, why as an Oklahoma fan, I should feel confident in Oklahoma going on the road for the second consecutive weekend in the postseason and figuring, a, figuring out a way to take two out of three against the Hokies. Well, I'll give you a real X factor, and then I'll tell you why I put the X factor on uh, the outline here. Uh, okay. But uh, I guess as far as... Where I where I could see OU winning here is simply because our bats have been so incredibly hot uh, since mm-hmm. basically the OSU series. Um, I think 
Virginia Tech is averaging 8.8 runs a game, which is mm. insane. Uh, but um, OU is averaging 9.19 since the OSU game. <laughs> so OU can definitely outscore this team. And hey, it's a three-game series. You just need to take two. Virginia Tech could have an off night, and then OU could just be hot the other night. And that's all it takes. Um, so you don't need a ton to to get through here. Now, Virginia Tech is an incredible hitting team. They're going to be very hard to outscore. Uh, pretty much everyone in their lineup hitting over 330. Uh, you just have one guy that's actually below 300 in the entire lineup. So um, they're they're going to crush the ball. And it's really going to test, you know, is this pitching staff up to the task? Like, do what is what they've done over the last couple of weeks a true indication of them growing in the season? Mm-hmm. Or is it we've run into some teams that were more defensive-minded, maybe weren't as great, you know, hit, hitting the ball and on the base paths. We'll find out. Um, and it may be that Virginia Tech just blows us out of the water, regardless of how good the pitching is, because they just have some incredible hitters. Um, we will see there. So I don't want to be a bad fan. I'm not holding my breath or anything. I'm just, we're <laughs> playing with house money at this point. Like I'm just so excited to be here and to have another weekend to get excited about OU baseball. It shortens the football off season. So well, I think everything else, Pat, I think everything else is just icing on the cake. I mean, nobody really is, expected yeah. this team to make a postseason run, much less make it to a super regional, much less win the Big 12 Conference Tournament. So, uh, yeah, I, I think um, it, it's going to be – It's I, like I said, I can't wait to watch. And I haven't said that about a baseball game in a long, long time uh, concerning OU. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this weekend. Uh, is Oklahoma going to get it done? <sighs> If you had asked me it. before I did all this research about how good Virginia Tech was, <laughs> I would have said for sure. <laughs> but um, I, I'm, kind of, really I'm kind of 50-50 on this. Let me tell you about the real X factor. Have you heard about the rally boobs? The rally boobs? Yeah. Like B-O-O-B-S? That, that, yes, you uh, heard me right. I, 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 can't, I can't say that I have. Enlighten me. <laughs> so it's exactly what you think it is. Um, Back in the uh, right towards the end of the regular season, uh, and the reason I heard about this was because it was actually during a game involving Liberty. Uh, Liberty was playing at Virginia Tech. Liberty had, I think, a one nothing lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and uh, this game was on TV. Unfortunately, I guess for uh, for this situation, uh, they happened to come back from commercial break, showing the lawn seating, and a Virginia Tech. What I'm assuming is a Virginia Tech student flashed the camera. And since that point, uh, Virginia Tech scored two runs and won the game. And so those are known as rally boobs at this point. So let's hope we don't see any of those in black. Is that like a is that like a frequent reasons. thing now? Like is that like no, a, it is just it was a total oh I was going to say I was thing. <laughs> kind of that would be a terrible uh, tradition. No, it kind of just showed up. <laughs> it blew up on social media, and uh, it got the name rally boobs. So I was like, I gotta I gotta bring this up. We're playing Virginia Tech, like. I, it has to be said, right? It can't be ignored. Jeez. Well, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. We'll, we'll see if, uh, any, uh, rally boobs make their way onto the TV sets this weekend. So, yeah. Well, let's, let's transition however we can away from, uh, boobs to betting. And, uh, since nice. Corbin is in Las Vegas, we said, hey, we've got to, we've got to at least join him mentally. We like to do some betting segments here on the podcast. And so I thought it'd be fun to do a little bit over-unders. We'll mix in some football and uh, some other sports here as well. Yeah. So uh, let's do some over-unders. First up in football, 1,000-yard rushers for the Sooners this year. I'm setting the over-under at 
five. Where are you going there, Tyler? Come on, Adam. This is way too easy. Uh, outside of the outside of the COVID year, which uh, Ray, uh, Ramondre Stevenson was suspended for half the season, Oklahoma's had a 1,000-yard back every season since 2013. So you combine that uh, with the track record with Jeff Levy's system to go along with running backs like Eric Gray, Javante Barnes, somebody is definitely going over 1,000 this season. So give me the over. See, the reason I set that so low is because Jeff Levy, as offensive coordinator, has never had a thousand yard rusher. In 2019 at UCF and then two years at Ole Miss, he has never had a thousand yard rusher. I believe the closest was not even over 800 yards, if mm. I recall correctly. Um, he he my, shares the ball a lot. My, my counter argument to that is he had Matt Corral last year, who he trusted to run the football uh, quite a bit from the quarterback position. So that took away some carries from the backs. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that with Dylan Gabriel. I think he'll be very limited in terms of the quarterback run game. Uh, so I, I think that this will be the year. I, I'm, I'm high on Javante Barnes. Uh, I, I've said that for probably close to a year now. So uh, we'll, we'll see. But I just think that with what Levy wants to do, uh, having Schmitty back, I think that that's uh, the offensive line was a disappointment last year. Uh, I think that there will be kind of a you know kind of a fire lit underneath that position group's ass. Uh, and I expect uh, I expect a big big year in the running game from this Oklahoma team. Is Barnes your guy that you're predicting over a thousand? Uh, you also have Eric Gray, Marcus Major. Uh, I don't um, I don't Gavin know Sawchuk. if he will have I don't know if he will have enough opportunities, especially early in the season. I kind of feel like Gray and Major will get the bulk of the carries at the very beginning. They're the upperclassmen. They're the guys that have been here. Uh, but like I said, you know, probably a month or two ago, I think that Javante Barnes by Texas will be the starting running back. And I think Javante Barnes will be the best running back on this team uh, when the season is finished. May not be statistically, uh, but Javante Barnes will no doubt going into a sophomore year be the clear number one running back option here in Norman. See, I tend to agree with that. And that's why I'm going to take the under here, because I think Barnes will get, you know, 60 percent of the carries, but it'll be on this you know, latter half of the yeah. season at that point. So yeah. I think Eric Gray, Marcus Major may come out of the gate strong, but then Barnes takes over by, you know, or sometime after OU Texas, for example. Yeah. And so that's where I think the yardage totals probably are lower than we might expect. Um, doesn't mean that's that the point. running game isn't successful. Um, it could mm -hmm. just be, you've got a ton of guys with 600 yards <laughs> a piece. Yeah. Um, but I, I, just the track record there from Lovey's offense is strange uh, for such an explosive offense. One that does run the ball a ton, actually mm -hmm. more uh, percentage wise than a Lincoln Riley offense. It's just weird that they don't have more success now. Maybe it's well, oh, and you I will think have better running backs, better line play, so on and so forth. We'll see. And I think a large part of the reason why Levy, you know, kind of has to spread the wealth amongst multiple running backs throughout the course of a season and, and you know, especially through the game where you, you'll have three to four guys touching the ball. Uh, and that's large part because of the tempo in which he likes to play with offensively. So, um, you know, you're going to see multiple guys in there on, you know, on one particular series. You know, I don't, I don't think that Oklahoma on this roster right now you know, has that, you know, that uh, DeMarco Murray or that Adrian Peterson, uh, Joe Mixon, a guy that you want to feed the ball to, you know, 20 to 25 times a game. So it'll be very interesting to see ways uh, in which Levy utilizes the running back, both carrying the ball and getting the ball out of the backfield from, from Dylan Gabriel. So uh, I, I just think that at a place like Oklahoma, uh, I think that Jeff Levy and this offensive line are going to be really, really good this year, much improved from a year ago. Uh, I think this team will be bought in, so I think that we'll have uh, we'll have another one thousand yard back. So, 
Last year, two players had seven or more sacks, uh, Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas, both of them mm-hmm. uh, moving on to the NFL at this point. So over under one and a half, how many players I think have seven or more sacks? I think you'll be I think you'll be on the opposite side of me on this one. I'm gonna take the over. Um, I'm not sure who the two guys are gonna be, you know, Downs, Redmond, Stripling. Uh, I don't know who it's gonna be, but we do know uh Brent Venables' defense at Clemson were year in and year out one of the most, you know, heavy blitz units in, in all of college football. So I expect a lot of sacks, a lot of tackles for loss. So give me the over. Uh, I think we'll have two exceed the seven and a half number. I'm taking the over here as well. I think Reggie Grimes is another name worth mentioning. Uh, He, I think his ceiling is really high and I'm, I'm kind of leaning here. There are so many names and depth wise that you think, man, that guy could be good, man, that guy could Mm. be good, but you have to think the Brent Venables defense, there may be some learning pains, but it should be better. And I think we will see a slightly different substitution pattern than we've seen in past years, especially earlier in the year. So maybe Ethan Downs can stack up four sacks in the first three games, for example. Um, and maybe that helps him get to seven, even if he slows down throughout is, the rest of the year. So is that allowed, Adam? Like, are, are we allowed <laughs> to play our best players uh, more than 50 or 60%? I think it depends on what the temperature is outside. <laughs> so, uh, I got you. Okay. Uh, Dylan Gabriel has never thrown for more than, I think, 33, 34 touchdown passes in a year. 32. Uh, so, so 32. Okay. Yep. And he had some shortened seasons in there, some injuries. So setting the over under at 35 and a half. How do you feel? Yeah. About this one? Uh, he threw 29 in 2019, 32 in 2020, and only made it to nine touchdown passes last year before his season, you know, came to an end due to his injury. So I'm taking the under on, on this one. Yes. I know he's going to be playing with a better offensive line than he's ever had way more talented receivers than he did at UCF. But if there's one thing, again, I'm going back to Jeff Lubby's system, what he likes to do and what he likes to prioritize as a play caller uh, from his time at Ole Miss, is that he loves to run the football. Last year, Ole Miss's run-to-pass ratio was 57 to 43%. Uh, that So 35-and-a-half number touchdown pass for Dylan Gabriel is a little high for me, so I'm going to take the under on this one. If he does throw for more than 35, uh, OU is going to be in a very good position by the end of the season. Yeah, I kind of looked at this and thought, well, how much is he going to play? And last year we thought, yeah, Spencer Rattler will barely play a lot of games, you know, in the second half because we'll be in such big leads. Never happened. Thank you, Lincoln. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, I think. We'll we'll touch on that here in a second. Yeah. uh, Dylan Gabriel, I think. I I feel like he will be playing longer in games simply because I, I don't think you're developing too many guys behind him. I don't think that. Nick Evers plays this year after we've picked up these additions in the transfer portal, or if he does, it'll be like real hardcore mop up duty. Um, no so calls for the a... booty. <laughs> well, I, that's who I would love to make the call for is, you know, to, to pop the booty in there um, <laughs> in the, uh, you know, in the second half. So um, if... I need to work on my, I need to work on my little, uh, uh, puns and uh, there you go innuendos yeah, if you that, think about so. it though, I mean, 12, 12 regular season games. I mean, to hit that number, that's, that's three a week. You know, I, I obviously yeah. I don't think he's going to be able to hit that every single week, but you know, against inferior talent, if he goes out and throws five or six touchdown passes against UTEP and Kent State, then you know he's he's kind of off and running, and then that over number is looking pretty good. Yeah, I'll take I'll take the over just barely. Give me thirty six nice. there. there Next go. up, let's talk softball. We don't know what will happen. You know, this upcoming week, and we both predicted an OU win here, but let's take this weekend out of the equation. Let's say OU wins, doesn't win, whatever. After this year, how many more national titles, Women's College World Series, uh, does Patty Gasso win? I'm setting the over-under at two and a half. 
That's a great question because um, large in part, we don't know how much longer Patty wants to continue to coach. Um, Patty turns 60 this year, and if Oklahoma wins the national title this week, it'll be Patty uh, in this program's sixth national championship, 2000, uh, 2013, 16, 17, 21, and hopefully 2022. Uh, we know the new stadium is coming in less than two years, Adam. She recruits better than any coach in America. Uh, I'm going to take the over on this one. You're going to have Jordy Ball for three more years after this season. So chances are you're probably going to get one out of those three years, maybe two or better. So I'm going to take the over on it. I think she gets to double-digit national championships uh, before she hangs her visor up uh, as the greatest coach uh, in Oklahoma softball history. And probably she wins three more titles after this season. I think you've got to probably make the claim that she might be the greatest coach in OU athletics history. I mean, what she's doing in the much more competitive space of softball right now. Yeah. I think she, she does have an argument uh, for best softball coach ever. uh, 100%. 100%. I know the Arizona guys got 12, I think. Yeah. But some of those just don't feel the same when there is, you know, only a couple teams that were really dominant at that point. It's like Oklahoma state claiming the 1945 title. It's just, just, it's not legitimate. So, yeah, and you're stealing from the military. Um, (laughs) I I will take the over here as well. I I think Patty feels young. She feels like she uh, has tons of energy still. Mm -hmm. I think she will want to turn this program over to her son. And so I think she'll want to build that bridge. And that will take a little bit of time. I I don't think OU fans have an objection to that at this point, but I think you want to build that bridge still. um, And I know that that goes. I know that she's been the head coach. She got here in what, 1995? That was her first season. So, I mean, 27 years. I mean, you know, she, she's not going to want to do this forever, but if there's one thing just by listening to her interviews, her press conferences, she loves competition. She loves to compete. Yeah. Yeah. So um, who, who's to say? I, I Go ahead. And I will say the stadium, we expect it soon. Uh, it's going slow. We'll see how fast that moves. And I think she does want to coach in that stadium. So if that is delayed heard, for some reason, that, that sucks for fans, but it... I think you know, 2024 helps your coach longer is where I, think I, I hope so too. And I, we're looking. Uh, yeah, I think, I, I think that's still the plan. I could just see, you know, things can happen. We'll see. Yeah. Not, yeah, not that absolutely. like we're needing money still, but there could be delays in construction and all sorts of, that's true. Things you don't so Oklahoma weather as well. Inflation. Yeah. Baseball this weekend, Virginia tech and super regionals. Uh, can the OU pitching that's been great so far, hold the Hokies to, less than their 8.8 runs per game that they've averaged throughout the season. Yes. Taking the under. That's it. Taking the under. So (laughs) 8.8, that's the average for the weekend? Uh, Per game, yeah. Per game? Yeah, I'll I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take that. Virginia Tech, their lineup scares me. But this is super regionals. I think this. I think these games tighten up. I think they're a little bit lower scoring. You have all your pitching available to you. You can throw everything at them. So mm-hmm. I will go under as well. I don't necessarily know that means that OU wins because OU is going to have tougher pitching uh, to face as well. But uh, I feel good about the way this this pitching staff is rolling right now. Yeah. Uh, women's basketball wins one and a half more or postseason games than men's basketball. This one almost feels too obvious. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with women's basketball in this one. You know, the, this is a team that made it all the way to the Sweet 16. Uh, you know, this past season they returned their entire entire starting five from a year ago, led by Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams. Uh, in what's you know 
I, I think that if there was once if there was one new coach that's came into Oklahoma, um, I guess you could kind of throw you know Lincoln Riley out the window in his first year as head coach making a college football playoff. But what Jenny Baranchek did in year one, taking this team that was essentially made up of all Sherry Cole players. It was the same team that, you know, won less than 15 games the previous year, taking them all the way to, you know, uh, I guess I think they were what second or third in the big 12 conference uh, going to the sweet 16. Uh, I think that having another year in this system, having that core group of five back, you know, to go along with a couple more really solid recruits that Jenny's is going to be bringing in. I think the women's basketball has a chance to make another sweet 16, maybe even an elite eight type run. And, you know, Adam, I'm sure you'll touch on this here in a second ago. I'm not very optimistic right now with, with OU basketball, you know, still having two scholarship spots left to fill, still looking for another coach on the staff. Um, Porter Moser's guys work cut out for him. I honestly kind of feel bad for him. It, him coming to Oklahoma in the time where the transfer portal has never been more popular, you know, losing so much talent that, quite frankly, you're having to re-recruit your roster every single offseason. I just kind of feel bad for Porter Mosier, and I don't think he's – I don't think going into year two he will have OU as far along as where Jenny Baranchek will. So with all that being said, give me the over. There's still missing pieces for men's basketball in what's been a really strange offseason. Mo Gibson went to DePaul, of all places. Uh, Uh, Explain that to me. Yeah, you got the transfer from Nevada. I believe his name is Grant Sherfield, if I recall correctly. That sounds right. Yeah, and then uh, you've got some other guys coming in. Uh, Joe Bamisil. I Who knows if these guys are eligible? It seems like we expect them to be, but we need a waiver, so that's kind of sketchy. Um, it's just been so weird for men's basketball. I, I, there's not a clear picture there. I don't think that they got stronger inside. So uh, women's basketball, if Ana Yunusa is healthy, this is a top-10 team. Um, Absolutely. So they should be at least in the Sweet 16. And I do think the ceiling for this men's basketball team, as it stands today, is probably one win and out in the uh, NCAA tourney. Mm-hmm. One last over-under here. I'm going to set it at uh, 41.5. Oh, this is a new uh, one. I haven't seen this yet. Yep. Dumb quotes from Lincoln Riley between now and the start of the season. Um, well, every time he opens his mouth, there seems to be at least one more that comes out. Did, did you see the one today where he talked, where he said that every single uh, playoff appearance that he had at Oklahoma, he had at least the third or fourth best roster? Did you see that? Yeah, it, it, I don't think he intended it but like this, but he kind of threw those teams and all those players under the bus. Are, is he not aware that that 2017 Rose Bowl team, all 11 guys played in the NFL on his offense? And let's not forget, this team was preseason number one going into this year. We had what yeah. eight, nine guys drafted, and that's not even including you know the two quarterbacks that are going to be probably be first round picks. So let's not act like talent was was you know the the sole problem. You know let's let's maybe dial it back a little bit. Talk about player development, uh, coaching the full season, and not having one foot out the door halfway through it. Um, you know peaking at the. Yeah. Peaking at the West I mean, Coast. OU recruited at a high enough level when he was here to uh, to win uh, a championship, and yeah, the players I, were just not developed, and there wasn't I enough mean, balance across all all position groups. Exactly. I mean, he's not he's not entirely wrong. I mean, as great as those 2017 and 2018 teams were, I mean, the defense was atrocious for both of them. When you look and saw what Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia have from top to bottom, you know. I th- there's one thing that we can all agree on. Quarterback play is what saved OU uh, during the first two to three years of Oklahoma, of Lincoln Riley's time here in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, just because we were still dealing with Mike Stoops' defense. 
and come to find out, we were still dealing with Alex Grinch's defense. So Perry on Winfrey might have something more to say about that. Uh, but yeah, to, to blame to say that you just flat out did not have enough talent to compete. I mean, you had Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. You had Rodney Anderson, Trey Sermon, all those guys. Ceedee Lamb, for God's sakes. Let's let's dial it down a little bit. Let's take a little bit of ownership and responsibility for it. It feels like every single interview that Kevin Durant gave after leaving the Thunder, where people were constantly asking, you know, why did you leave? You know, what did you like about the Warriors? It feels like the same type of scenario, and it's going to continue to play out for a couple of years still. I think where people are going to say, you know, why did you go to USC? Because it's yeah. so unusual for a coach to leave you know, a team that's competing for playoffs to go to another school is weird that Brian Kelly did the same thing like a day later, but mm-hmm. that's so unusual to have that. So he, he, he's, he's going to continue to speak out and it's going to feel very tone deaf and his answers are, aren't going to really make sense um, because well, who knows well, what he's even thinking. And it's not helping too when you've got clowns in the media like Colin Cowherd and, you know, other national guys, especially ones out on the West Coast that are continuing to feed the narrative. That is one thing that I'm, you know, kind of proud of Oklahoma fans for. Yes, we kind of we, – we, we talked about him. You know, we, you know, drug his name through the mud, you know, for the better part of the last eight months or so. But uh, it, I think that the, the hatred and the chatter regarding Lincoln Riley has really calmed down rega- uh, amongst OU fans, and it's really just kind of the national media that's continuing to push that narrative, continuing to stir that up, trying to get clicks, trying to get interaction, trying to get Oklahoma fans stirred back up. But um, I – I never wish for, you know, failure upon anybody. You know, I, I hope that, you know, I hope that his family's doing well. I hope that, you know, he's he's happy. He's obviously got all the money in the world, but I hope he falls flat on his face at USC. We shall see. Any other grievances towards Lincoln Riley that you'd like to let out before we call it a wrap today? Well, I mean, he doubled, he, or what, quadrupled, uh, d- doubled down again today saying, you know, he had that one brief phone call with USC and his mind was made. He Bullshit, Adam. To, <laughs> he continues to lie um, pretty much every time we get an interview from him. So we'll look forward to discussing this throughout the offseason because you know it's not going to be the end. But uh, I until want, then... I did want to, I did want to yep. finish on this one note. Um, we got some pretty good tidbits uh, from the Championship Series Media Day press conferences today with OU Softball um, and kind of something that I was not aware of. Uh, we found out uh, that when Jocelyn Allo was 13 years old, she was on the verge of actually playing softball at Oregon, not Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, and, you for, know, uh, for the Texas yes, coach at that exactly. time. Yeah. And, you know, after, you know, she got the offer from Oregon, she, I think she went on one more, uh, visit. She went to a camp at, at Arizona. Um, and you know, she decided, uh, that she wanted to call Oregon home. So she called Mike White, the now Texas head coach, who was the head coach at, uh, at Oregon at the time. And he flat out told her, you don't have a spot anymore. That scholarship offer, uh, is, is no longer available. So talk about one of the all time major screw ups in, in sports history. So it's pretty cool. Almost kind of storybook that she gets to finish out, um, her college career against him starting tomorrow night in the national championship series. Well, she uh, has a personality that I don't think she's holding any grudges <laughs> against him. So she may still annihilate uh, the Longhorns with her hitting, but uh, but yeah, she's uh, she's not the type to hold grudges. So are you going to try to go? Are you going to try to go? To I one will of be them? tomorrow night. Yep. Oh, you son of a gun! I wish I could. Bree's birthday's tomorrow night. Got dinner reservations. That's that's sign of a good boyfriend, right? I got dinner reservations right at the time first pitch kicks off. So I'm going to try to record the game. I'm going to try to stay off my phone and try to watch it when I get home. So we'll see. 
You should dump her. Uh, until then, <laughs> we will see everyone again next week. Appreciate everyone listening. If you made it this far, give us a five-star review on your podcast app. Subscribe. Uh, follow us on Twitter at The Mainline Pod and look us up on YouTube as well. Uh, you can find us on there, The Mainline Podcast. So appreciate everyone listening and we will see everyone again next week. <laughs>